0: Two things stand against reductionist materialism. First, the universe, even according to physics, doesn't bottom out as matter, but turns into something else. Electron microscopes and cyclotrons discover no statutory source. Instead of bottoming, quarks and prions dissipate into energy, curvature, strings, quantum fields, whatever scientists choose to call it. Where physicists once thought to find bottom, there is none. Neither is there bottomlessness, just dissolution of form or transition to another mode of form. Post-Newtonian physics, with its shape-shifting quarks, is the physics of a mirage. Materialists know this, but they don't believe it. Second, consciousness that witnesses itself as consciousness does not fit in a unified field theory of physics. I'm not saying that physicists don't get out the shoehorn and make it fit. I'm saying they do. Hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles and this is 42 Minutes, a podcast about meaning from SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at SYNC42 and at SyncBook. It's December 17th, 2020, and today we are really trying to get to the bottom of it. And we'll do so with author and teacher, Richard. You know what, Richard? Last time, we had such a hard time with your name, and I don't know why, but is it Grossinger or Grossinger?
1: Well, I usually say Grossinger, um, but I have a hard time with it too, because I was raised under the name Richard Towers. That was my name until I was 12, which is a very long and impressionable period. It was my stepfather's name. He had changed it from Turetsky, thinking that he couldn't do business in New York under a Jewish name. So I was, during the formative period, I was Richard Towers. Then they switched my name to Richard Grossinger and said, no, this other guy's your father. You, you have to take on his name. He's paying to send you to prep school. But then when I was 30, after my mother's suicide, I found out she had me by an affair, and neither of them were my father. So it's not my blood name, it's not the name I was raised under, and it's a, it's associated with a resort hotel that I certainly spent time at, but um, don't identify with. And in fact, my daughter, who was born around the time that, um, that I discovered that it wasn't my last name, made sure as soon as she was 16 to change her name. And ever since, um, she's had her professional name, Miranda July, which she um, changed it to legally. And I never think of her as the Miranda Grossinger that I raised. So that's more of a rift on my name than you wanted, but um, nonetheless...
0: Richard is the founding publisher of North Atlantic Books. He has a PhD in anthropology from the University of Michigan. The author of several books including Dark Pool of Light, Reality and Consciousness, and The Night Sky, Soul, and Cosmos. He lives in Portland, Maine, and Berkeley, California. We met him on this program back in 2013 for episode number 105. Most recently, he published Bottoming Out the Universe... Why There's Something Rather Than Nothing, this past April, published by Park Street Press, which is an investigation into consciousness, the universe, and the nature of reality. Richard offers a wide-ranging foundation for reimagining the universe as based in consciousness rather than matter. He presents in-depth analysis of the standard scientific description of the universe, revealing the holes in its theories. Exploring the interpenetration of matter and all reality by consciousness, the author looks at reincarnation and past life memories, examining famous and lesser known but verifiable accounts. He then explores the nature and origin of consciousness with accompanying explorations of animal consciousness. The brain is computer, multiple identities, thought forms, soul pictures, and paranormal phenomena like UFOs fairies, and poltergeists. He also examines concepts from physics that combine elements of both consciousness and matter, such as collapsing waveforms and the uncertainty principle of quantum mechanics. For more information about his work, visit his website, richardgrossinger.com. It's an honor to be welcoming Richard back to the show. How are you doing today? And are you up north where there's a blizzard? Is this true?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um... And I no longer live in Berkeley. um, (laughs) The the places I'm splitting time between are Portland, Maine, and where I am today, Bar Harbor, Maine, where it looks as though, I mean, it's a very pretty snowstorm, and I guess we're not going to get two feet the way some parts of New England did. Um, I'm also no longer connected to North Atlantic books, having been kicked out in a bout of identity politics. But I am um, the um, curator and publisher of an imprint under inner traditions um, called um, Sacred Planet Books. And that's where I've continued my publishing of other people's books, which is a large part of my work, discovering authors and helping to get their work out. Um, And... Uh, My original connection to Inner Traditions was through this book, Bottoming Out the Universe. They subsequently, when I became, in essence, a free agent, hired me to bring the um, publishing I was doing to them. Um, So Park Street Press is itself part of Inner Traditions, which you've probably dealt with other Inner Traditions authors.
0: Yes. And so when when did all this transpire is it relatively recently that
1: Yes, yes, all within 2020, the uh, the year of the plague, right? <laughs> the year the year of uh, when the universe passed through a strange portal and everything changed. So, yeah, um it it's it's fairly relatively recent although it seems like about 10 years ago by now.
0: Yeah. Well, so then uh, have you heard of this this echo of the 2012 thing? Where on December 20, uh, yeah, December 21st of this year, Saturn and Jupiter conjunct.
1: Well, I know that that's happening. I didn't know that it was a particular 2012 echo, but I, I certainly um, certainly accept that um, the the portals that we're going through since since they're occurring. In in a system that's outside our or, everyday comprehension, I can't. We don't really know what all of them are, but certainly in every way, this seems like a big one. Um, it cast a really big shadow before it came, when you couldn't see anything. And and in that, I'm really quoting from like psychic and astrological friends who for years were saying there's something there. I just can't see what it is which is very different than before 2012 when people said, oh yeah, everything's aligned this way, but in fact nobody had the kind of premonition that they did like back in 2018 and 2019 that something was coming. So this does seem like the real thing.
0: Yeah, they couldn't see beyond 2020 is what you're saying?
1: Well, they couldn't see what was there. Um, uh, It's like... Everything seemed to be getting hollower and hollower because something was occupying it that was, that was invisible, and the, there were all these things, all these kind of mostly terrible events were happening in the international arena, but they were, they were, they, there was another shadow or force, and then I, I can't say that that was like COVID but COVID became a, a sort of more palpable um, materialization of it. Um, and and it, really, it really put us in the middle of it, put us in the middle of the transformation.
0: Well, let's look back a little bit. So, you know, I haven't spoken to you for seven years, um, but oftentimes around this time, people kind of do a year-in review, look-back mm-hmm. thing. And I'm just wondering, like... We're also having the ending of like a political cycle happen too. What has the last four years been like for you? Or for you?
1: Ah, oh, that's a that's that's a really big question. As, as this interview takes a direction that wasn't necessarily um, itself foreshadowed by you know, all the promotional stuff and and the quote that you read. I like that quote you read from the book. Um, because that, that does really the, the whole thing. I kind of liked arriving at that line. Uh, it's not that they don't get the shoehorn out, they do. I mean, that is that is what physics does with consciousness. But my, my journey has always been in some ways um, wound in mysterious ways into the immense degree of trauma in the family I come from, and it's like a supernatural trauma. Uh, my mother, brother, and sister all committed suicide, um, and um, not not when I was a child, but in subsequent years. But I grew up among people who were in some way um, planning their suicides, although it wasn't called that, of course, when we were all much younger. But um, the, the not so much the suicides, although certainly... Their heart. I, I wouldn't minimize them, but more the underlying script was so powerful and so intense that it really drove my existence. And having another family did make a difference because it got me out of the immediate influence of that. And then I I went to college. Um, I grew up in New York City, and then I went to college at Amherst College in Massachusetts, which was. Very much like, and it was at the time like of the Cuban crisis and followed by the Kennedy assassination and it was uh, it, it was a kind of transformative time and place to be, and I met my partner um there, and it sort of um turned everything around um she and I kind of threw in together. And then I went off on a path that included getting a Ph.D. in anthropology at the University of Michigan. I studied fishermen in Maine. Not what I wanted to study. I wanted to study shamans um, anywhere, but most likely on the Hopi Reservation. But it didn't work out, and I ended up by a series of flukes studying fishermen in Maine. And then I taught college for seven years in Maine and Vermont, and then moved to Berkeley, where... Um, I developed the, um, the small press, small indie literary press that we had started. I developed it into a really significant size press to the point where, um, at its height, we we're doing almost 100 new titles a year. And that's how I supported myself, instead of going back to college teaching. And at the same time, I, I did what practices I could. I, I study dreams. I did a lot of Tai Chi and Taoist martial arts. I trained in cranial sacral therapy. And then after 2000, I began to study psychic stuff. Um, I began a direct psychic training. And all through this time, the kind of the the original set out, which, out of which I came in childhood was like hanging over my head and I would I would be fine, basically, but I would have these incredibly surreal panic attacks, which were like whole lesions in the universe itself. and I lived in dread of them um, and and it really influenced how much I was willing to chance. I never wanted to like get caught somewhere because they were sort of spontaneous um, and then in twenty eighteen through a series of events, I kind of went through the, the black hole um, that that contained them. And it was partly because I, I have, um one of my authors who was a necromancer and raised spirits. And I don't want to go into the experience, but um, that's a whole other story. But... The experience completely changed everything. It changed It changed my phenomenology, which is really where you get changed. Um, you don't necessarily get changed through your ideas, but if your perception changes from breath to breath, you have to respond to it. And it created a journey, which I finally counted out as being 850 days before it was over, that was... Became an acute depression, and actually wrote much of Bottoming Out in that state. Um, I trans- kind of transcended it to write that book, um, and I also, in some ways, lived through internally each of the suicides of my family members. I mean, profoundly lived through them, and I was able, in the case of my brother and sister. I knew the script because I talked to them up to the last day of their lives, um, as I tried to help them, um, and it, and I only really got out of it um, like two two months ago, got out of that um, dark space, and in the course of that, I I went through the um, the kind of what do I want to call it the um, the a sort of violent—I'll call it a violent magical attack—but it was a political attack on uh, on the publishing company I developed by uh, by people who took it over, and um, and the result was that that I—I I mean that was just one of the things that happened during the 850-day um, underworld journey. And although the the political stuff and COVID and other things in the world at large were important in that Um, for me, because, I mean, we tend to work from our own, um, our own inner universe out as uh, you know, we, 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 we have, um, we have to start from where we are and work out from that. So that, that's always been, been uh, of inter, uh, the kind of interface and some other kind of, Conventionally, negative things happen that I, I don't want to talk about because I don't want to have to give give other people secrets on on something public. But cumulatively, it was like a, a complete turnover of everything. And now, now I'm kind of you know just trying to um, figure. I guess not figure it out because we don't figure it out, but. I'm I'm just um I just find it really interesting to be in a different place totally like not just um not just a different um set of things but actually operating out of a different center um and the center has much more to do with uncovering how I ended up in that family to begin with with all the twists of fathers and uh and people um, people kind of um, losing the ability to stay in their body or the w- the will to stay in their bodies so anyway that's that's more or less what I would emphasize from the last four years
0: Well so I usually ask writers about their practice their writing practice and you know how that also is integrated into their just their their being practice, um, but it sounds like maybe you're like uh, <laughs> this. This question becomes more difficult because the way you wrote books previously versus the way you wrote this book, bottoming out the universe, and then where you're at today might all be completely different s- spaces. Well, not
1: entirely. I I have uh, I think of my work as as. Kind of centered around two different poles, and one of them is very personal, and the other one is very objective. And the objective one, uh, bottoming out the universe, is is really my most concise book. In the objective one, and my I think of my four topics as being medicine and healing. One, astronomy, cosmology. Two. And um, embryology, how we get a body, the formation of bodies and embryos, the joining of spirits and bodies, and biology. That's three. And four is consciousness, which was dark pool of light, and and then a lot. This book too, bottoming out the universe. So those are those four. And then I have a bunch, uh, a, probably more book, more of my books than of anything else. Are made up of um, of mixtures, uh, liter essentially literary journeys into multiple phases and places. The most um, recent ones being from the from maybe 2003 till 2012, being on the integration of nature, um, the Bardo of waking life, and then my 2012 book, which I call 2013. Um, I think I call it. 2013 Raising the Earth to the Next Vibration, I think that's what I called it. But um, I do have what I, what I consider sort of the other core of my work. If, if the four topics are the objective pole and, the, and these various um, kind of literary prose books um, are the middle, then the other side is my tr- memoir trilogy, which I've worked on my whole life um and one, only one of the volumes is really published um and that's um that's new moon which is um the story of growing up through the end of senior year uh, the beginning of senior year of college and it's written out of my high school and college writing it it's a rewrite of of the earliest writing i did I published it in a short, shortened version, uh, originally hardcover, and then I completely redid it in the, oh, about four years ago uh, and put a coming-of-age tale on it to distinguish that it was uh, a different, a completely different book. And since then, I've been working on the other two, um, and so, yes, I have been working really hard on that, and I, I... Tell people I would share the uh, files of any of those if they write me, because I'm not sure how and when I'll bring them out, so if people are interested. Recently, I finished um, a draft of the most challenging one, which is the one about um, relationships and spiritual quest, and it's called Episodes in Disguise of a Marriage. I think now that I'm with inner traditions I'm going to try and bring it out in twenty twenty two um but um i give i give my email um chart at innertraditions.com. dot com as as people write me I'm perfectly willing to share the file of that it's uh in some ways it's the most ambitious book I've ever done because it um and the most, per, far and away, the most personal and the most risky, which is why I never published it. And then there's one about the family, the suicides, the search for the real father, and um, uh, it, it has long things about my brother and sister and leading to their suicides. I published, um, again, an early incomplete version of that um, in the 90s. Um, of out of Babylon, but my brother and sister were still alive then, and um not that they had to die to finish the story. that sounds ridiculous, but um in fact, once they did die, I realized that I should finish the book and and write the whole thing, so that's also in process um and I'm working on that now, um but I also took a break because <laughs> I'm doing this um, three-week book. Um, I've tried to do the whole book in three weeks. And I don't know what the right title is. I'm, I'm calling it for the time being, Opening the 2020 Portal. And I've also tried out the title, Reading, Reading Gateway Cards. But I've sort of drifted away from that. But it, it's mo- best described by, it has five chapters. The first one is Trump. The second one is QAnon. The third one is The Left Hand of God. The fourth one is COVID-19. And the fifth one is Chaos Magic. Um, And I got into it because Inner Traditions, when I joined them, was publishing a book on, uh, on politics and magic, and particularly on Chaos Magic and the 2016 election of Donald Trump, how Chaos Magic was used to elect him. And I was asked to see if I could work with the author, um, John, I think his name is John Michael Greer. Um, uh, The book is called The King in Orange. Um, And so I worked with him a bit, but it it simply got me interested in writing my own. And then after the election, which um, had a strange synchronicity that that Election Day was my birthday, November 3rd, um, after that, I just really wanted to take on the whole topic because I felt it was it was tremendously misunderstood, and especially in the aftermath of there being two alternate versions of the election, um, one of them being uh, trump 's version that he won in a landslide and that it was rigged, and the other being the official version i I feel as though what what joins them together is chaos magic, and that um And that the whole kind of and QAnon I address as a cargo cult or a ghost dance. Um, I don't take it seriously at face value. I take it uh, uh, in graduate school in anthropology we studied millenary movements and cargo cults and things. And part of the little bit of research I did on the Hopi around Book of the Hopi and Mormon influences on on Hopi eschatology which is part of your part of the country, uh, in Boise, um, that, that, that that all kind of played a role in me thinking that, um, I mean, I was, I, I was working on the book the last few weeks and corresponding with uh, an, a, 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 a very well-known author who I've long been friends with and who was my first employee at North Atlantic Books in the 80s, Jonathan Latham, um oh wow who uh who um just has a new novel out called The Arrest and it's set in this part of Maine where he lives part of the time but we were we were talking about it and he said you're brave i can't even use the word qAnon without it giving me the creeps whereas i don't feel that i actually feel um that that it's um I've always thought the letter Q was interesting, and uh, and as as a high school Latin student and then in college student of medieval Latin, the whole use of Q as uh, as an opening to the great questions and Robert Graves's um, notion in The White Goddess that that the all the letters of the alphabet are trees and that the Q stands for quirt, the Celtic name for apple tree and represents the question that Eve asked. And I kind of, I kind of tried to go into the various myths that make up, uh, make up the whole, um, the whole Q-an- QAnon conspiracy theory and kind of tie it into this other stuff. So I'm, I'm not quite done with the, the three weeks ends Either tomorrow or on Sunday, depending on when you begin counting, but I will finish that um, and go back to out of Babylon, which will be an enormous switch. But nonetheless, that's that is what I've been writing writing the last um, the last um, few weeks, and and very engaged in in, and liking the currentness of it. I've I've tentatively talked to two writers who I like a lot um, to write uh, introductions for it, um, Charles Eisenstein and Gary Lockman, um, two people who write around very different aspects of the same topic. So that's... um, one of the things about uh, the these podcasts is it's so rude for me to do all of the talking, and yet the, I, in a way that's what's supposed to happen. So <laughs> there it is.
0: <laughs> well, so you're so prolific. How many hours a day do you work? Do you feel like
1: not that many? I, I'm I'm an easy writer. I started when I was like a teenager, and it doesn't doesn't take me that much. I would say I generally work about three hours a day. Um, and but I do work the three hours um, because, and I try and make them the first three hours in the day when everything's clear, and and then I try not to work for the rest of the day, um, and I try not to write at all, um, so that I get out of that space.
0: Well, I want to talk about your book, but I I keep being drawn to, you know, this moment that we just went through uh-huh. um, but part of it like what I what I said to you in an email is I've been addicted to reality for the no I think it was somebody else I'm sorry but I feel like there was something egoic about Trump that really focused our attention on like the surface of material existence um,
1: yeah I agree and um the psychic with whom I've done the most studying, John Friedlander, and God, I'm mentioning one book after another. I, I've spent um, a lot of time the last six or seven years creating a new book out of his classes, which I think is about the best occult book I've ever seen. I've, that's why I went into the classes to, to really try and get the gist out of them. And I just finished putting that together like la- last week. It'll come out from Inner Traditions in uh in the very beginning of 2022, uh, and it's called just it's called for now life as it is recentering Seth. There's a little more to the subtitle that I forget it because uh, they they supplied a little more. But John says it's it, to him he doesn't know why people are willing to think that COVID is a is ultimately a healing and not see Donald Trump as a healing too. And I think in, it's exactly in the way you say that it, it brought ever, all this whole materialism to the surface so grotesquely and blatantly that it was it was hard to ignore.
0: Well, you said you don't like to, you know to work for the rest of the day, and then I feel like part of what I've been doing, participating in just American civics, is is working because you know there's mm-hmm. just looking at different news stories and trying to figure out exactly what's happening right now. like It felt like there was a low... (laughs) It was just important to be informed about what was currently on fire.
1: Uh... (laughs) But nonetheless, um, so... And you're in Boise, which is, you know, I've never, except for the years when I was a graduate student in Michigan, I've never lived off the coasts, And Boise is itself such a kind of... You know, I mean, it's in Idaho, which is certainly deep in, in, in Trump country. Um, I imagine Boise is somewhat of a little island there, but nonetheless. Um, it used to
0: be. Uh, I, one of our recent claims to fame is the, this character, Amon Bundy, uh, is in somewhere in our environs. And so he pops up at these various protests. Uh mm-hmm. you know, it seems like everyone's protesting masks in you know, here. Oh, right, yeah. Because it's an infringement on our civil liberties. But I wanna share a synchronicity real fast and then we'll talk about your book. So um last week I spoke with the physicist and he wrote a book about the you know, the a causal quantum or the a causal nature of our quantum reality. You know, so he was looking at at synchronicity, but from a from a physicist's point of view, mm-hmm. and my question to him was, "Do you think science will ever?" So his book, the back the backbone of his book was light. That was the you know that was the substance mm-hmm. that um, threaded through his his work on synchronicity, and I I wondered to him whether or not science could ever write a book where consciousness was the backbone. To the study. <laughs> and then I read your book. How would, how would you answer that question?
1: Um, well, I felt in, in writing Bottoming Out, I, I wrote it in pieces. I, I didn't think of it as a book initially, I thought of it as separate little pieces that ultimately I wove together into a book. And, and so some of the angles into it were from the standpoint that the universe begins as consciousness. Um, and then matter forms secondarily, um, but that's been said before, and and I wanted to avoid the cliches around that. Um, on the other hand, you have the scientific view, which completely uh, denies that and says that we're the result of arbitrary events um, intersecting, and then in fact we're not even really alive. We're just uh, we just have a hallucination of being alive, and I go into that in enormous depth because the only way to get out of it is to go into it. I mean, that's, that's how you get out of it is by going through it. But I think that the bigger question is if the universe is consciousness, primarily what's all this doing here? And that's, that's really the central, um, the central, the most central theme of my book. I go on all sorts of journeys through issues about past lives. I, I, I do much more writing on particular like um past life histories the kind of famous american ones the the kid in uh um the kid in Oklahoma and Muskogee um what was his name it l- eludes me at the moment but um who the uh, Ryan Ryan Hammonds. um and then uh, and then James Leiniger, um who remembered his life as a pilot and I—that's I, one of the tracks I went down. And I went through the whole Ian Stevenson work on uh, on wounds and scars from past lives manifesting on the new body as birthmarks. And I went very deeply into Seth. Um, John Friedlander was with uh, Jane Roberts when she channeled Seth. Um, and I mainly—I mainly tried to say um, because. It runs. It runs into the problem, the basic Buddhist problem here, that um, this manifestation is a really crucial manifestation and not an arbitrary one, as scientists say, and also not one to be transcended, as uh, as is. I mean, it's an oversimplification of Buddhism to say this, but there's a a general a general kind of Buddhist. Um, well, not real Buddhist, but kind of pop Buddhist um, denigration of this reality is what you're not supposed to pay, be involved in or get attached to or hooked on. And, um, and Seth and John, uh, John as a Sethi, encounter that, saying, no, th- this is not a universe to get through to get to enlightenment. This is a universe created by enlightened beings who needed this experience. Um, um, and that that's, that's how it materialized. It materialized, in a sense, as a collective thought form um, of, of enlightened beings who needed to deepen their own experience. And in a passage that I pulled out of John's classes, I, 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 I kind of um, fused it out of seven or eight different classes to get a complete narrative, he compares um and I put that's this is in bottoming out the universe. He compares a life to a mud run. He says there are people who um pay to like go through mud, crawl under um uh, their barbed wire and 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 it's forty degrees out, and you could you could sit in a uh, your room and watch it on television or listen he says, listen to Bach at one point, you don't have to be on the mud run. But then he says, "Well, this this is the mud run. This life. This is the soul. This is your soul has chosen to do this as a mud run." And I love the image. Um, there's so many images for for it, but he picked that one, and I really, really li- like it. He 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 remarks on one occasion about being a high school football player. Uh, and how brutal that was in the heat of Georgia where he grew up. He said if if life began at, like, what, 1 o'clock in the afternoon um, and ended at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, football would make no sense (laughs) if that was the whole thing, which is to say that everything makes sense. Um, Everything is important, even the smallest piece um, because, because of this overall interdependent context, which is very much um, a Buddhist um, framing of it. So another thing, heart, at the heart of my book, is, is sort of contrasting Buddhism and this sort of Sethian approach.
0: Which leads me to a question that I've been trying to chew on for years and years and years, which is just the kind of the, the nature of reality is one of suffering on many levels, and that we should participate and try and lift things up, but do you think that that's the price of admission? And and uh, that <laughs> that even though we aspire for equality and uh, you know equability, whatever you know, that it's almost built into the nature of reality that that things are the way they are.
1: Well yeah I mean there um it's it's not it's not a game and it's not like it it's not like an idealization of possibilities um it is exactly what it is um so if it's wrong at some point there's always the possibility of making it right but then the way in which it's wrong is right for what it is because it's gotten to that and then maybe you make it right and you improve it or maybe in trying to make it right you make it more wrong but then that's that's the way it is and again i go back to john who and i quote this too in the book he says the universe reoptimizes itself every second for everyone's spiritual freedom and and for me- meaning and for meaning and spiritual freedom which is quite a job I mean, to me, that's the description of the universe. That's the closest thing to bottoming it out, is to say that at every instant for every sentient being, and probably for every stone, too, it's optimizing it for spiritual, for the spiritual freedom and meaningfulness and depth of, of each of those things in relation to each other. And that's the complexity, I think, that we intuit. And... It, it doesn't yield to right and wrong, which are concepts that we impose on it. Uh, the concepts are not right and wrong in their own context, but to impose them and feel that they're going to lead to some resolution is um, is, is just delusional.
0: Well, so, like I said, it feels like uh, materialism has really come to the fore for the recent past. And I'm sure one of the things you note in your book is how you offend equally both you know mystic types and scientific types in some instances as far as the the concept. Right, it's
1: one reason why I I, I somehow have produced the genre that um, makes me about as unread as you can be for writing on the stuff I'm writing on. Like I think I'm writing on. Really unique and special stuff, and that nobody else is writing on it, but I'm not producing much of a readership for all that um, and I think it's partly because i i i am i'm too literary for the occult market, and I'm certainly too occult for the scientific market, and I say enough um, that gets mystical people. Irritated at me, and then, and then clearly, you can't even touch the stuff I'm touching and get um, much of a readership in the other area.
0: But do you think that you're onto something? That yours is is uh, is you know. So you you mentioned at some point that duality is also something that we just have to deal with. But do you think you're bringing these two opposing things together in some way that? Hopefully, will lead. I guess.
1: Us. I guess. Again, one never knows. Like, like, why they're do- why they have a particular penchant to do what they're doing. And I often, I often feel that that going back to what I said earlier, that what what has driven me um, was the necessity of surviving in a family that was. Um, that was out to destroy you, um, not that the people were out to destroy you, but that there was a destructive force at work. And I feel as though I had to encounter that force with my own initial consciousness. And in doing that, I, um, I kind of got into the, these topics in a different, in a different way, um, i um I got to I was put in psychoanalysis at age eight, so i all, all through high school i had I, I like the first psychiatrist I had had studied with Freud directly, and then the second one was an associate of Jean Piagets. So I had this enormous education as a child in this sort of symbolic inquiry mixed with all this destructive energy in the family and i met in high school i met people doing occult stuff and and then i studied um i studied non western religion and and um ethnoscience in graduate school so i had this peculiar combination of influences i mean i trained in cranial sacral therapy and and i uh, you know i did all these different things and they went together in, their, in a particular configuration that's just different than the other people writing on the things that I'm, I've been writing on. I think it's interesting, too, that uh, that my daughter, who I mentioned earlier, who uses the name Miranda July, for her own reasons, is equally uncategorizable. She... Um, she took all those energies and um, and put them together in an art form that is that is, it really is unique and and um, like com- intrinsic to her.
0: Well, that's forty-two minutes, and of course the garbage man is now outside my door. <laughs> so that, well,
1: this is real life, right?
0: It, it is real life. Um, We've been listening to Richard Grossinger on 42 Minutes Production of SyncBook Radio and syncbook.com. For more information about his work, visit his website at richardgrossinger.com. For more information about The SyncBook, our guest, check out past shows or subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast, check out others, as currently all The SyncBook Radio archives are free. Please use the search engine to explore all the connections. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com. Thanks so much. And what I'm saying is welcome to planet Earth. It is a mud run. You signed up for it. You may not have understood that when you were signing up for it, but that's part of what makes it real.